the dog has been used for an incredibly long period of time. Dogs are not people though. And so 92% of these drugs that they want to put into the human market, they may pass as safe in dogs. They will fail in a human trial over 92%. And so from a scientific standpoint, doing that dog test, it isn't helping people at all. Hi, I'm Tori Mystic, and you're listening to the Wear, Wag, Repeat podcast, the only show dedicated to supporting women in all areas of the pet industry. In this new podcast episode, I am talking with Ellie Hansen, the host of the Dog Research Exposed podcast. Our conversation starts with Ellie's journey into the pet industry. It all began 16 years ago when she opened a pet bakery in Billings, Montana. With the tremendous support of the local community, her business has flourished, expanding to two locations that she still operates today. In addition to the bakery, Ellie's business now also offers a self-serve dog wash and a full-service grooming salon. While I loved learning about her business, the bulk of our conversation in this episode revolves around animal testing. This subject sparked Ellie's interest when she stumbled on a video on Facebook several years ago. This video and the content that it exposed inspired her to connect with a rescue organization that's dedicated to rehoming beagles that had been subjected to laboratory testing. When Ellie brought her first rescue beagle home and took him around her shop in Billings, her friends and customers were shocked to discover that dogs are still being used for testing purposes. Yes, they're still being used today. Motivated by that dog Marty's resilience and the interest that she felt from the community around her, Ellie focused on advocacy work for laboratory test animals. She used her book and her podcast as platforms to raise awareness. I asked Ellie for something that we can implement in our own day-to-day lives to make an impact for this cause. Sometimes things like this can be so overwhelming and feel like insurmountable challenges that we can't make an impact for. But she helped me to discover that there's something we can do in our day-to-day lives to make an impact. It is very important to make sure that every home cleaning product or beauty product that you buy is cruelty-free. So look for the leaping bunny symbol on all the products that you buy, and please tell your friends to do the same. I want to warn you that parts of this interview may be difficult to listen to due to the mention of animal abuse. However, I hope that you will take the time to listen. While it may be challenging for us to hear about the abuse, of course, it pales in comparison to what so many innocent animals are subjected to every day, unfortunately. To delve deeper into this issue and discover actionable steps that can significantly impact the cause of animal testing, please visit dogresearchexposed.com. And I want to thank Ellie so much for sharing this story with us. It's a little bit different than the typical Wear, Wag, Repeat podcast episodes, but I think as petpreneurs, we are so passionate about giving pets a better life. It is really important to learn about advocacy issues like this. 
I look forward to hearing what you think about this episode. Please share it on social media because I think a lot of people don't realize that animal testing is still very prevalent and that doing simple things like buying cruelty-free products, everything from your bathroom cleaner to your mascara, that can actually make a big impact. So here we go with the interview. I hope you enjoy this, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Ellie Hansen is an award-winning writer, animal advocate, founder and CEO of Lovable Pets, Inc., a holistic pet supply company located in Billings, Montana. She holds a bachelor's degree in mass communications and public relations from Bloomsburg University. Ellie's published works include two books and several magazine articles focusing on profound human relationships with dogs. In 2015, Ellie adopted two beagles who were used for much of their lives for pharmaceutical research in undisclosed U.S. laboratories. Both dogs were severely traumatized and needed extensive rehabilitation to acclimate to their new lives outside the laboratory. Witnessing their resilience and uncovering the facts about dogs used for research inspired Ellie to write her second book, Laboratory Dogs Rescued, From Test Subjects to Beloved Companions. Ellie is also the producer and host of the Dog Research Exposed podcast, dedicated to disseminating information related to ending this cruel and outdated practice of using dogs in chemical and biomedical research worldwide. Hi, Ellie. How are you? Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. I'm excited to have you here and and to shed some light on this topic, which um, unbelievably is still something that really needs a lot of attention brought to it. It's still a very common practice, unfortunately. It is. It's one that actually very few people know about, although that's slowly changing. Good. Um, why don't we start off? Um, I, I want to get into like the bulk of, of the work and the advocacy that you're doing. But I always like to ask people, how did you get into the pet industry? Um, what inspired you to work in this space? My very first dog, Ty. I did not grow up with dogs or animals. And so when I was 30 years old, I got my very first dog and he was a little rat terrier. And he was my sole dog. And when my life changed and I decided to move from New Jersey to Montana, I, he was my sidekick in everything we did, you know, hiking. And I, my life kind of revolved around him. So when I was looking for a new career, I didn't want to work in an office anymore. And I said, I really love being around animals. What could I do? that I could be around animals for my job. And since I don't like needles and blood, being a veterinarian was not it. And so I remembered that I had taken Ty back in New Jersey to these little dog bakery boutiques to buy him toys and treats. And they didn't have anything like that in Billings, Montana. So I'm like, well, I could do that. And that's what I did. I opened my very first doggy bakery. And it's it's now been there for 16 years and we have two locations and it's much more than just a dog bakery now, but that's how we started. And it all started with my little dog, Ty, who 
he's no longer with us, but uh, yeah, he was my inspiration. Oh, I love that. Ty lives on in lovable pets for sure. (laughs) Well, and I kind of, I mean, I'm from Pittsburgh and I've, I've lived here pretty much my whole life. I have the impression that Billings, Montana is a pretty small town um, or that there's the people in Montana are pretty spread out. Um, but you've had this business for 16 years and you've grown it from a dog bakery to now two locations, a self-serve dog wash, full service grooming. It's obviously growing and doing great. What are, what are some of the challenges, um, of having a business like that in Montana? Well, Billings is the largest city in Montana. And so there's about 150,000 people that live here. And when we first opened Lovable Pets, um, there people didn't really know what a dog bakery was. But I'll never forget the very first day we opened, we advertised in the newspaper. It was around Christmas time. And all we really had, because I, I didn't know what I was doing as a business owner, like I was told, I didn't, I had never even used a cash register my whole life. And I had one of those, you know, it wasn't even like a POS system. It was like an old fashioned cash register. And um, we had a line of people out the door for the doggy bakery treats. And I'll never forget that because the, the support from the community was amazing because they wanted special things for their dogs. And there wasn't anything in Billings at that time. So we were the first and the challenges are, I could write a whole book about the challenges of owning a business. Maybe that'll be your next book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We have 18 employees now and they're wonderful. And there's just so much to run a business, especially as it grows. And so, yeah, everything from Probably the biggest challenge we're dealing with now is um, keeping with the times in terms of technology, online, competing with online sales, um, just trying to remain a special place for customers to bring their their dogs mm-hmm. is really important. Uh, great customer service, and that's something, and having products you can't just get online, you know, really trying to specialize and have a niche. That's what we're, what's what we focus on. Right. And and there's some things that maybe you can get them online, but people wouldn't seek them out. But when you're in person, you can have your, your staff, you know, explain why this thing is so great, or you can test it out or something like that. That's true. We have a, we have a herbalist on staff. And he's great. So people, we we sell a lot of natural supplements and herbs and he's available by email or text. If customers want to ask him questions and that's unique. And then we also have a cat specialist. And so anybody with cat questions, she specializes in, in that. And that's rare to find at a yeah, lot of Yeah, I was going to say, so. you don't, I feel like the cat whole, the whole cat market kind of gets a little bit overshadowed by the dogs. Yeah, right. So you've had um, your retail stores um, for like over 16 years. When did you start to get interested in um, the laboratory testing or or the, how do you refer to them as like the laboratory testing dogs? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. People know what you're talking about if you say that generally. So I had no idea what was going on with laboratory dogs. I didn't know anything about it. 
And I was sitting at Facebook one day and I was scrolling through my feed. This was in 2014. I was scrolling through my feed and I saw a post of an undercover video of an undercover investigator going into a like a laboratory and they it, they were handling the lab workers were handling a beagle um who's obviously very ill you know from being experimented on and they just euthanized it and then threw like threw it onto this cart like a sack of potatoes like it was just another day at the office and i just it struck me like a lightning bolt like oh my god what is what just happened and like it was like a calling immediately like this is why i'm on this earth and it just struck me now because now is the time i needed to hear this so I like cried for like an hour. My husband came in the room like, what's wrong? And I told him, I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. I have to do something. And I started researching all about it. And I found a couple of rescues that adopt beagles out. That's the breed mostly used for research. And one of them is Beagle Freedom Project. A lot of people might have heard of that rescue group. They're an amazing advocacy rescue group. And then there just so happened to be one of the only sanctuaries for research animals in the whole country is located in Wyoming, which is a six-hour drive from here. And they're called Kindness Ranch Animal Sanctuary. And that's where my journey for advocacy began because I got my very first beagle, Marty, from Kindness Ranch. And that was an eye-opening experience, let me tell you. And so how how did your experiences with Marty influence your work? Like not maybe with your store and also your advocacy work, how has he impacted your work in both ways? Well, the biggest thing was people noticed he wasn't like any other dog. I mean, there's dogs that rescue dogs that you can see are nervous of people right? You see that, you see that a lot. His, I would bring him to work with me and he was way more than just nervous. He was, it was terror because he'd been used for six years in a pharmaceutical research lab. And what they do to the beagles there, I'm not going to get into too much detail, but they don't get any good human handling. The human handling they get is force feeding with a tube down their throat like um, drug compounds that they're testing for human use and constant blood testing. And um, they don't, they don't really have any enrichment. It's just, it's super sad. And so he was in there for six years and that's a really long time to be, I'm going to say mistreated that badly. And so we couldn't even look at him when we first adopted him because if we looked at him, it meant we were going to do something to him that hurt or didn't feel good. And so that's what people saw at the store. They were, they'd be like, what's up with him? And then it would bring up the whole story of where he came from. And he was he helped shine a light on what was happening because people would be like, 
they still do that to dogs? And I said, yeah. And they're like, I thought that was like illegal. I'm like, no, it happens on a huge scale to this day. I mean, not a ton has changed, starting to change. But what Marty did was open a lot of people's eyes just because of his level of fear. Um, And he was my inspiration for my advocacy in that I saw how he resilient he was and that he was able to change and become a normal dog. And that's what happened. Yeah. Well, and just people, it sounds like how curious people were and how they responded when they heard his story. Right. Probably inspired you to say, you know, I really have to share this because people don't know. Exactly. So he, he like, he was my inspiration and he helped me find my voice. And I knew I needed to be a voice for these other dogs that are in labs and let people know that actually they make amazing pets. Honestly, like you can, you can rehabilitate them and they are the most loving, gentle dogs because the loving, gentle portion of the equation is why they're used in labs in the first place. So it's super sad, you know, if you look at it that way, but they make amazing family members. Mm -hmm. So I already, so since I adopted Marty, there's now um, over a handful of people in Billings who have beagles from Kindness Ranch and growing. So we're ready to start a play group or something because the awareness is spreading. Yeah, that's really cool. So I'm assuming that it would be hard to completely change the industry overnight. So maybe there's like a progression of things that needs to happen. Um, but what is what's the main goal of the advocacy work that that you're working on and that some of these other rescues and other groups are working on? What what's the main goal when it comes to testing on animals? It's multi-pronged. So because there's a scientific, there's a scientific prong. And that's basically that dogs are not people. So legally, the FDA back in 1930 um, said that in order for drugs to be uh, tested in people, they have to be tested first in a rodent and a non-rodent. Your non-rodent are dogs and primates. So the dog has been used for an incredibly long period of time. And dogs are not people, though. And so 92% of, of these drugs that they want to put into the human market, they may pass as safe in dogs. They will fail in a human trial, over 92%. And so from a scientific standpoint, doing that dog test, it isn't helping people at all. What a waste. You put them through this suffering and it right. doesn't really help. Right. It's big business. It's millions, billions of dollars. The dog breeding industry, it's just like an it's it's kind of being stuck in the past when they're scientifically, technologically, we have so many safer, more humane ways to test drugs for people. And a dog, I mean and a really way to look, easy way to look at it is uh, we can eat chocolate. 
dogs can't. It's there's something very different going on in our bodies genetically. Um, just because a dog has a liver and a kidney and a heart like we do, they're not human. Even if you think about it, you and I are very different genetically. Like we'll respond differently to different things. And we're both the same species. Imagine being two different species and thinking you're going to get any valuable information. So yeah, I I can't use perfumes on my skin. It makes me break out in a rash, but other people can spray their whole body. (laughs) Right. So that's the scientific angle that there are some pretty amazing scientists out there who are not only developing his technologies like human organ chips. And that's a, that's a huge topic. You can Google human organs on chips and you will find all the information on what that is. Um, So they're working on, they're doing advocacy, trying to eliminate the need to use dogs, primates, mice, all the other animals. So that's what they're doing. The other prong is rescue. So a lot of um, putting laws in that say, you know, you you finished your, your research experiment. The dogs didn't die or get super sick from whatever you did. Don't euthanize them. Release them to a rescue, at least. Let them have a life. Because a lot of these dogs are tested on at pretty young ages, like a year, two years old. They have, um, unfortunately... I'd have to say most of the experiments are lethal. And so, um, but a small percentage of experiments are not. And those dogs should not be euthanized. They should go to a rescue. There are so many rescues in this country. Just the Invigo, I don't know if everybody knows about the Invigo Beagle Rescue. It had 4,000 beagles and a huge research breeding facility. That's all they did was breed beagles. This was last year, 2022. And they were shut down due to animal cruelty allegations. 70, actually, 70 allegations of animal, severe animal cruelty. So they were shut down. This was a breeding facility in Virginia. And 4,000 beagles needed to be rehomed. And the amount of support rescue groups that stepped in to help those dogs, every single one of those dogs got adopted within two months. I mean, it was just, it's, there's not a lack of homes for these, for these dogs, for these beagles. So the rest changing how companies do business and letting those dogs out who are able to get out. That's the other part of it. Yeah. So there's a, yeah, there's a lot of law. So there's a lot of senators and there's a lot of leaders in politics Trying to change, mostly right now it's focused on, you know, the animal welfare, you know, I don't, you can't treat dogs that with cruelty, no matter what you're doing. You can't do it in your home. You can't do it just in the name of science either. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So even the dogs who are being used in some kind of testing that maybe there would be laws that would require them to provide them with enrichment and care and certain sort of, um, I don't know, just certain amenities um, to give them like Mm -hmm. a better life while they are being tested on that, that could be part of it. Right. 
And I'm sure there's some laboratories that provide some enrichment and then there's others that don't. And it's a hidden industry. Um, The labs are not really required by law to provide the dogs with anything. They are basically lab equipment. And so they can do anything to them. So whatever animal cruelty laws we, you and I have to follow in our homes and our communities does not apply when it comes to dogs used for science. And so it's tricky because Mm -hmm. you just don't know who's doing what and you're, it's intentionally hidden from us because if every American could see what was happening, it would just, it would stop because we would all get so angry and we would all do something about it. I'm upset just hearing about it now. And yeah, um, yeah, you're right. It's, you know, it's illegal to leave your dog in the car here now. Um, But what these, it's okay in a lab to have them closed in a room for their entire lives and no positive interactions. Oh yeah. Up until 1985, they were still doing heat stroke experiments on dogs. (gasps) So they would purposely put them in a room of 98 degrees without water and to see how long it took them to die. And it's like, they had done this experiment over and over and over and over again, just curiosity when it's like by 1985, human beings should have been smart enough to know what happens when any living being is put in that condition. And so a lot of these experiments are curiosity based still. And yeah, to me, they just, it just doesn't make sense. No, it's really disturbing. Yeah. Um, so another, another thing that, um, uh, I, I found on your website, um, cause you have great resources of, um, what organizations people can go to, to learn more. And then you also have a great section that's like, here's how to take action. And, and one of those is to, um, seek out cruelty free and ethical products. Yeah. So as, as entrepreneurs in the pet industry, um, how can we move the needle forward and, and what's the best way for us to support a move towards everything being cruelty-free and ethical products? Yeah, that is the easiest, most effective way to get the ball rolling on, on this whole issue because that's something any of us can do like in the next hour, we could start doing that. And Products that are cruelty-free are not tested on animals. And depending on what type of level of certification they have, Leaping Bunny, it's called, is the highest level of certification. And if you look on the back of, uh, I don't know, like your laundry detergent or your dish soap, you would see a little, it's like a little bunny jumping. It's like a little symbol. And that's the Leaping Bunny symbol. And then there's another bunny too. It's a bunny head. That's another cruelty-free symbol. And that's good too. Um, But that just means that maybe at one point something in there had been tested on animals. Not anymore, but it was. So Leaping Bunny is really the most stringent. And that's what I strive to purchase. And that's cosmetics. That's cleaning supplies. That's So whenever you buy things like Windex and Clorox, that's all animal tested. And so it really takes a shift in how you clean your house. You know, um, there is some great 
awesome alternatives like Myers is one of my favorite you instead of Windex or you know what I mean just simple changes but being aware of what you're buying and how it got on the shelf because how it got on the shelf if it's not cruelty free is it involved either force feeding chemicals or killing a whole lot of animals to get there and it's just silly if you're thinking about you know cleaning your your kitchen counter for that yeah. i hadn't really thought too much about like windex and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff um countertop spray or or whatever yeah. um cuz i always think of cosmetics and you know when i buy makeup i always check off the you know only show me brands that are cruelty free or green or whatever because i don't want you know, I, I check off green because I don't want all the chemicals, but I also want the cruelty free as well. And man, does it shrink your selection of products that you yeah. can choose from? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's important to to buy from those brands, like you said, when you're putting on mascara and you're thinking, you know, how many animals were harmed if you're yep. using some, you know, big brand that that does do that kind of testing. That's just kind of crazy. Yeah, so if we all if we all start thinking like that and then voting with our wallets, I like to call it, mm-hmm. then I mean more and more companies are wanting to be cruelty free because members of the public we're aware now what's happening and we are choosing to purchase cruelty free products instead of not cruelty free products. Mhm. I w- I'm wondering um you know how there there's like this term greenwashing where you know it's like things that you know aren't really eco-friendly they just say like eco-friendly but then you find out that it's not or it's plastic packaging and inside another plastic bag and another plastic bag and it's like well that's not really eco-friendly um does cruelty free washing does that exist ever is that anything we should be aware of I don't know I've just noticed that some some products that are like eco-friendly are not cruelty free. Do you know what I mean? Just because it's eco something, it doesn't mean it's going to be cruelty free. So yeah, I think that there needs to be some education about like what these terms Mm -hmm. mean. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So, okay, Ellie, you also have a podcast. Um, So in addition to your book that just came out um, in 2021, I think, right? Yeah. Um, so you have your book, but you also have a podcast called the dog research exposed podcast. So how has having your own podcast helped, um, helped in raising the awareness about this work? I made a lot of connections with some top scientists in the world, actually, who are working, um, with the technology that would help us transition away from animal testing. Specifically, all animal testing to me is awful. I focus on dogs because dogs are, they are are, um, a companion animal. They are members of our families. So that make, to me, that makes it especially awful knowing how many feelings dogs have. And so, yeah, my podcast, I, I made so many contacts through my book and I'm like, I don't want to just stop there because not everybody reads book, not everybody reads books, especially my book, 
which is actually like a, um, a library book. So it's mostly going to find it in a university library or a public library, not really like on shelves at Barnes and Nobles or anything like that. And so, so I was like, how can I get this topic out to the general public who's maybe scrolling on Google and types in research dog or laboratory dog, and maybe my podcast comes up and they listen for the first time. So I just, I wanted to do more and keep doing it. Because there is a lot more that needs to be done in terms of raising awareness on this issue. Yeah. Well, it seems like such a complicated issue. Something that caught my ear when you were talking earlier was about how some of these FDA regulations were written in the 1930s. And I think that's just such a problem in so many different areas is that things don't get updated to reflect the times, you know, um, how we viewed animals in the 1930s is different than how we, how we're aware of how they should be treated now. Um, And so I'm I'm sure part of the work too, is that you mentioned these like senators and lawmakers kind of updating some of these regulations. Yeah. Last year, the FDA modernization act was passed and that basically gave companies permission to use these new technologies and not use animals. And it just leaves, it's not mandatory, meaning that it's not, companies aren't being forced to do this. So companies are like, if you want to do it, you can. But it might be more expensive too, right? Exactly. So Mm -hmm. why would you change something you've been doing since for decades, right? It's going to cost money to change. You know, people stuck, you know, it's hard to change. It's hard to change the little things, let alone your whole laboratory and or your whole curriculum if you're a university professor teaching animal testing, you know, um, but there is, there has been a law passed that says, if you want to use a different technology, you can, it's just, there's a lot of politics involved, obviously, in this whole issue. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Yeah. I'm sure the rabbit hole goes very far. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Complicated. Um, so Ellie, where can people go? Um, where can they find, if they did want to read your book, um, what, what's the best place to find your podcast and your book and, and all these different resources that you have? Well, my book, Laboratory Dogs Rescued, you can pretty much buy it online on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Nobles, pretty much anywhere books are sold. It's even Walmart. You can also buy it directly from the publisher, which is McFarland Books. And the podcast, uh, we have our own website and it's dogresearchexposed.com. And all of our episodes are on our homepage. So, how, or you can just wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, wherever, it, it, it'll be there as well. Okay, great. Um, thank you so much for being on. And thank you for also um, well, for sharing the advocacy work, but also talking about lovable pets inc and if anyone listening is in the billings area um come say hi to ellie at one of her shops so thank you so much for being on the show um and i really appreciate all of your expertise and and your insight thank you so much thank you tori for having me some of the best conversations happen after the episode send me a note on instagram at where wag repeat or 
find even more women petpreneurs to connect with in our private Facebook group called Wear Wag Repeat Labs. If you want to dig into more episodes, resources to grow your business, or find a link to something we discussed, it is all right there for you at wearwagrepeat.com. I'll see you back here next Wednesday for a fresh conversation.